professor of nuclear physics at City University of New York and host of Exploration. Uh, we're approaching Hiroshima Nagasaki days, and he'll be back next week talking about nuclear power and nuclear weapons. So do stay tuned and tune in for that. We got that final call. We got the 20 calls. Micho, thank you again. And thank you for joining us here on KPFA. You're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno at 88.1, and all the time at kpfa.org. Right now, time for explore, uh, time for time for cover to cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule. Learned in school, get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rule, so divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is August the 2nd to Aug 2011. We're trying ah, to raise money to support KPFA, yes. And <laughs> I don't know why I think that's funny. I guess it's because huh, I feel good. I got a, a night's sleep for the first time in months. Ah, I got up this morning. Uh, well, actually, I got up about an hour ago, and I thought, well, what I should do is I should, I should get on a plane, go to Washington, D.C., and tell him no more, Mr. Nice Guy. Aha. I'm reading this book that I have. Uh, actually, if you subscribe to KPFA, you can get a copy. Anyway, I'm reading a book about Obama's mama, and I thought, since his mom is no longer with us, since she died so young, Obviously, he needs a mother figure. He has several. Actually, he has a house full of women there to tell him what's right to do. And actually, I think the spirit of his mother uh, is at his elbow or she has his ear. Surely she can tell him what to do, how to uh, kick, kick in. Well, she wouldn't. I don't know. Um, I don't think she would put it that way. Maybe she would. Who knows? Um her name was uh, Stanley Ann Dunham. They gave her her dad's name, Stanley, but she mostly was called Ann. Ann Dunham. Now, I gave away a couple copies of this book a while back, and I still have some there in the in the premium room. And I picked it up, and I thought, uh, how come everybody's not carrying around this this book, uh, trying to understand the president's psychology, and I guess you know the answer to that one. Most people don't give a euphemism. The truth is, uh, I think we're going through this strange period, politically speaking. I, 
I thought about it hard the other night, and I thought, I see what it is. They couldn't find a, a, a corruption scandal. They couldn't find a Monica Lewinsky. They couldn't find anything to hang this president with. So uh, they they came up with this uh, uh, debt thing. Isn't it weird? Totally weird. Uh, gets me uh, hysterical. Gets me giggling. I read the old economists that I was raised to uh, trust, you know, John Kenneth Galbraith, and I see now that it's all a matter, well, it's it's like religion, it's a question of belief, and of course, uh, if you believe you're screwed, well, there it is. Uh, I listen to all the pundits and uh, Bill Maher and all these people, and nobody seems to get it. Uh, a few people, I guess, get it. I assume that KPFA listeners get it. You know, these guys would rather fight than switch. You know, they'd rather fight than govern. Uh, uh, the president said as much uh, shortly after he uh, took office. He said they're not interested in governing the country. Uh, all they're interested in is uh, booting him out of there. You remember uh, uh, the... Uh, Clinton and Carter, the earlier Democrat, uh, Democratic administrations, they had a taste of this. <laughs> this <what was> it? <laughs> oh, yes. I remember, what was it? Mrs. Carter, Rosalind Carter. She said, they can't find anything. She said, um, no booze in the White House. She said, that was, that was a sexy issue. They could, uh, call her a Puritan. Who knows? Uh, Anyway, I do have this book to offer you if you wish to subscribe to Free Speech Radio. I think you should just subscribe because we're here. And, uh, uh, what is that? I used to say, uh, all that stuff about the vision thing. Uh, <laughs> we got to keep this door open, folks. No matter what. Uh, this book is called A Singular Woman, The Untold Story of Barack Obama's Mother by Janie Scott. It comes to us, let's see, it's about, it's a hardback, it's $27, right. Uh, what is it from? Riverhead Books, Penguin Company, New York. Terrific pictures, and Barack is... Quoted in the, uh, on the front page, I say, Dreams from My Father. That was his book published in 2004. He is writing about his dad, you know, the absent parent. And he says, I think sometimes that had I known she would not survive her illness, I might have written a different book, less a meditation on the absent parent, more a celebration of the one who was the single constant in my life. It's curious, isn't it? Uh, how we don't get it until they're gone, until they're dead. Uh, Barack seems to remember his father, you know, the, um, the guy with the booming baritone, with the Paul Robeson voice. His mom fell in love with the Paul Robeson uh, voice and charisma. Mm, been there, done that, uh-huh. 
Stanley Ann Dunham was a foolish girl, but somehow or another her instincts were right. At 18, she fell in love with Obama Sr. And uh, uh, the fact that <laughs> she lived with him for less than a year, well, anyway, you remember in uh, Obama's book, Dad came back when he was 10, but he didn't, Dad didn't get along with his uh, father-in-law, with uh, Anne's dad, and uh, he he was very snotty. The father was very snotty watching his son watch television. He didn't like seeing little uh, Barry, it was Barry at that point, little Barry was watching How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And uh, his father, his biological father, felt this was uh, beneath him, not proper for future intellectual. Anyway, they moved him out of the apartment, found him someplace else uh, to live. Um, I think that this story stays with me, really sticks in my mind. Not just because she died so young, and uh, it's kind of a kind of a great drama uh, but because well uh, she's such a what do you call that she's such an icon to me she's emblematic of her age the women who tried so hard and who as as uh, George Eliot wrote back in the 19th century who are what is that not celebrated not remembered but they are the the rock, the foundation upon which we build our societies. Uh, I started giggling at a television show last night. I think, uh, I think it was one of the Python brothers. He was wandering around, um, Bhutan somewhere, was it? I can't remember. Yeah. I was studying that place where they, they work on the, uh, uh, the national, uh, quotient of happiness. Yes. And he asked a woman, why the uh, microfinance organizations gave the money to the women. And uh, the young woman tried to explain that if the women have the funds, well, then the family, the village benefits. Uh, you know how that goes. They run the country like a mom and pop shop. Golda Meyer was into that. But every time I mention Golda Meyer, I get a tremendous tremendous uh, anger I think I, I always think of her as the ultimate mom in charge <laughs> anyway uh, I think of all the moms I line them up in my mind I think of Jimmy Carter's mother uh, Jimmy Carter used to talk to her he said uh, uh, after she died ask her what she thought of these things our president's moms uh she went to India, Lillian Carter, uh, lost 60 pounds, went off to the, with the Peace Corps, uh, in her 60s. Gosh, I can't get over that. Uh, she was a nurse down south, treating people of color when it was not done by white health workers. You know those stories. Uh, even Bill Clinton's mom, she was a nurse. There's a lot in her history that foreshadows Bill's. Ah, oh, yes, those false eyelashes, Virginia, Virginia. She was married to a guy by the name of Blythe. Her son, Bill Clinton, his name, uh, until 
he took his uh, stepfather's name, Clinton. His name when he was a kid was Billy Blythe, Virginia's son. Then uh, things changed when he got the alcoholic stepfather and da-da-da-da-da. All these mothers and their choices, uh, I think it may be too much pop psych for some folks, but I'm afraid I have to trace that history. <laughs> Nixon's mom, a Quaker. Ah, what was it old George H. Bush used to say? Let's not be, yes, we must not speculate or hypothecate. Hypothecate. Could that have anything to do with hypocrisy? My mind, my mind is melting. Nixon's hypocrisy, such a mystery. Puritanical on the one hand. and Anyway, uh, his God complex, Nixon's God complex, so confusing. Uh, anyway, according to the friends of our president's mom, Barack Obama's mom, Ann Dunham, she was a tremendous human being. Uh, she did not have what we call an ego, except uh, where her children were concerned. Uh, Barry and Maya were her raison d'etre. She told everyone how brilliant Barack was. Uh, her own life was full of this passion for knowledge, uh, love of achievement, fight for social justice. She certainly loved men. However, she understood that both of her husbands were not wise parents. Uh, who was it used to say there are three rules for raising children? Example, example, example. <laughs> yes. Consider carefully the character of our president and what he learned at his mother's knee. This life of service uh, is wise enough to understand that personal happiness is okay, you know, if it helps us to be of service. He's not a masochist. But he's certainly not an egotist. Uh, the uh, complaints about Barack are very interesting. You know, usually we complain that men are uh, arrogant and overbearing, but Barack's best qualities are obviously his serenity and his calm. These are the qualities that are held against him. <laughs> it's so funny. Masculinity. I think it causes the the worst of the emotional swings is kind of the flip side of that other critique. You know, women used to be thought to be victims of their hormones. A uh, woman would drop bombs when she was suffering from premenstrual cramps or uh, premenstrual blues. PMS terrorists, somebody called them. I think we know now that it's the men who are emotional roller coasters. Look at Congress this week. Absolute what is that? It's a, it's a nursery. It's a kindergarten. Uh, childlike, unbelievable, infantile behavior. Uh, these guys can't function without an enemy. 
You know, the Marines just show me where I attack. Emotional dysfunction, politicians, uh, anything to win, anything to defeat Obama, drive him out of office. I don't know, uh, as I was just saying, they couldn't find anything, uh, nothing but this silly thing about the money, the debt. Uh, fantasies, of course. They they came up with the other fantasies, you know, the uh, basically about illegitimacy. <laughs> they think he's a bastard, yes. <laughs> In their guts, they feel he doesn't belong. He's not one of them. Uh, I don't know, it's class warfare, I guess. Southern, the southern thing with Carter and Clinton. It's strange because Barack Obama is obviously completely cosmopolitan. He's lived everywhere, been, uh, what do you call that, a citizen of the world. Uh, I think of him as being so much more sophisticated than most Americans, but uh, our WASP types, uh, they feel entitled, privileged, uh, are, are real aristocrats, oh, say, say the Roosevelts, the uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Teddy and that gang, they were actually uh, Democrats, uh, noblesse oblige, they knew that if you are a public servant, you must serve, uh, you know, statesmen must sacrifice. Uh, you you owe it to the people. The Bush clan, on the other hand, uh, are notoriously vulgar. That is, they have the feudal values. Uh, loyalty only to their clan. They see the general welfare as uh, uh, their welfare. Right, it's my country. My people. Uh, the people, of course serve the overlord. Uh, I guess, you know, the great American statesmen uh, way back when, our so-called forefathers, they certainly understood the principle, yes, liberty for all. That doesn't mean that they weren't, uh, what do you call that, uh, overlords. Thomas Jefferson is the best example. All that principle, <laughs> you know, uh, actually, he did die broke. I, I kind of think that. Uh, well, I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, he wanted to be uh, a nobleman, wanted to be a very, very wealthy, rich, uh, democratic farmer, right? Difficult. Uh, trying to explain what it means to give a piece of the pie to every man. Uh, remember that line about the chicken in every pot? That was Roosevelt's line, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, then I remember that other mom, that malevolent mother, Barbara Bush. Remember Barbara Bush? Her comments after Katrina? Good Lord, Marie Antoinette had more compassion. Uh, anyway, Stanley Ann Dunham, Barack's mom was definitely a hero, a radical thinker, uh, a feminist, uh, but I think uh, it confuses people. Feminism has come to be a pejorative word. Uh, 
Anne tried to uh, help. She tried to help the men in her life. She uh, she loved them. Certainly, she loved her son above everything. She believed he was going to be a great man. Um, she did live to see him marry a woman, uh, a woman who completed him. I think of Barack as multicultural, international, especially the way in which she educated him, uh, all that cosmopolitan experience. Few Americans know that kind of uh, life or childhood. Uh, but Michelle Robinson, the First Lady, now she's rooted in Southside Chicago. She's the grounded child, daughter of parents in a rock-solid marriage. Uh, Conventional, I guess you could call it. Her heritage goes back to slavery, to monumental movements that shaped our nation, brought people from chattel slavery through the Civil War, through Jim Crow, through the civil rights struggle, to today's tangle of identity politics. Color line, we called it. Uh, and finally, today's economic determinism. That heritage is entirely different from uh, Barack's. Uh, I don't know. I made a list of the crony capitalists, the rich, uh, who have been our rulers. And then the, the people who have tried to contradict uh, contradict that tendency uh We've come down again to some kind of reactionary racism, I think, in Washington. Christian fundamentalism, these Euro-Americans seem to be throwbacks. Uh, actually, I don't think you could throw anybody that far back. Uh, I think that this new, new um, prejudice or bigotry, uh, it perceives people of color as alien or foreign, for Christ's sake, uh, uh, some of the oldest families on this continent after the Native Americans would be uh, black Americans. Otherism, I guess, is what I call it. Otherism is this human malady. It's global. We always find ways to be separate and not ways to come together. It's the most fundamental psychological schism we've got. I think when I was younger, I thought it was basically a masculine-feminine schism. But even that is too general, too broad a point of view. Uh, we used to we used to joke and say that your mom was a Democrat. She cut you a little slack. Dad was a Republican. He was into scolding and punishing. But God only knows that doesn't get us very far. It is true that we're certainly addicted to white male supremacy, and that's global. North America is a cauldron uh, full of all these experiments. Uh, I don't know whether it's all going to boil down and make a nice stew. I, I think Europe is going through another catharsis, I guess we could call it. Uh, this business of the 
Islamic or Muslim, what is that, the other fundamentalism. I, I'm struggling with that one. I just don't know. I don't think we can be politically correct all the time. I think we have to just go back to uh, the simple definition of rich and poor and uh, what greatest good for the greatest number. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I have to believe that the world, that is our universal consciousness, has taken a leap forward. Looking at Barack Obama as President of the United States, it does matter. I have to tell the truth, my gut feeling, I dread the day when a white man once again sits in the Oval Office. <laughs> Revenge, right? Maybe, maybe that's a dumb way to feel. Of course, I know it depends on who, who sits in the White House, who sits in Congress. <laughs> then we get down to the women. There's Nancy Pelosi and then there's Barbara Lee. Which one of them had the right idea? The votes, you know, go along to get along or resist that nonsense the way Barbara Lee did. I only hope. Ah, uh, we get someone, someone whose mother I trust. Yes, come to think of it, how about Chelsea's mother? <laughs> I'll settle for that. Hillary's healthy. She's already an elder statesman. Oh, gosh, she'd be 70 before she could be prez, but, you know, your mama lives long, ah. Uh, it's time, it's really time for history to happen. The age is ripe for a new synthesis. Cancel the categories. No more of this hardening of the categories. Just grab for the next great soul. I'm sure there's a couple of great souls in Washington. Uh, <laughs> I see her. She's a six-foot-tall Chinese schoolgirl. She's visiting her aunt over in Fresno. She got a sports scholarship. Uh... She's going to lead the United States to a cultural renaissance, uh, a Zen enlightenment. That's what my grandchildren will have to look forward to. <laughs> anyway, I had so many things to talk about today. I wanted to talk about animal liberation. That's my favorite. I even have a note here about a film. Oh, I don't have time. Uh, it's called Buck the Film, the Horse Whisperer, right? Maybe the stuff of Hollywood legend. Yes, somebody copied a uh, blurb and sent it to me. Uh, everywhere I turn lately, I see animal liberation. What it means is that all sentient beings are worth compassion. I go for it. Sounds good to me. Now, I have very carefully marked eight passages in Janie Scott's biography telling us all about the wisdom of Barack's mom. And I may just read them next Tuesday. That might be a good thing to do because it gives you some idea of the incredible effort this woman made, even with all her limitations, uh, all the things she did. Uh, she knew how to handle corruption over in Indonesia. How did she get it? How did she understand uh, all these, what do you call that, uh, 
foreigners. <laughs> she got it because she did what Margaret Mead did. She took out pictures of her children, she talked to the women, and she made people understand uh, what it was they needed. Uh, let's see. A quintessential quality of Anne, says one of her friends, is a willingness to just be herself in the world. The story about her meeting Barack Sr. shows her enormous trust just to leave herself open to the world. Right, and then they go on to explain how she, what is it, how she fell for Barack's dad. Uh, and, uh, yes, how he was, he was so mellow. His deep voice with the slightly African articulation of flavor of Oxford, no matter what you were doing in the room, if you heard this voice, you would turn around. It was his instrument of choice. Uh-huh. Mm. He was asked, are the people of Kenya ready for self-government? And uh, <laughs> Barack's dad said, nobody is competent enough to judge whether a country is fit to rule itself or not. If the people cannot rule themselves, let them misrule themselves. They should be provided with the opportunity. Now, perhaps that is what Barack Obama is doing. He's giving us the opportunity to misrule ourselves, to follow our false premise until we hit the wall. Could be. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next Tuesday at the same time. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. <laughs>